You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. I'm excited about sharing with everybody. Uh, I'm Josh, if I don't know you. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm doing part four tonight of Discipleship uh, 101. And um, we got to get going because my assignment tonight is to cover Jesus. So uh, I don't know how you do that in, one, in 30 minutes, but we're going to try. Um, <laughs> but I want to teach on Jesus, who he was, what he did, what, he, what is he doing now. Um, and, and this is a daunting and possible task that I have before me. Um, and I, those three questions, I'm spending nine months teaching one of my high school Bible classes, the answer to those three questions. And so I've got to try to put nine months into 30 minutes tonight. So we're going to roll. Uh, I'm, I'm really only going to be able to scratch the surface tonight. Um, but I want you to leave with an understanding of the answer to those questions. Now, this is the most important topic <laughs> that we could talk about. He is, Jesus is the most important topic. And he's a lot more than just a subject to discuss. Discuss. He is the God that we worship. He is the man that we have relationship with, that we have fellowship with. Our theme this year is making disciples. You know, we need to be able to articulate to somebody else who Jesus is to us. And um, if you missed week three, if you missed last week, Paul's session on atonement was so good. I texted him the other day and was like, man, it was incredible. It's probably the best explanation of atonement that I've ever heard. So if you missed week three, you need to go back and listen to it because he, he covered a lot of things that I'm not going to recover tonight. Um, he covered about how, uh, about why Jesus had to die on the cross, about paying the penalty for our sin. I'm not going to cover a lot of that tonight since we are trying to cover so much. I'm going to focus on the person of Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he's doing now. And I, I always caution people on this. Don't check out on this. And think, well, I know Jesus. I know who he is. If you, ha- if, if you have that attitude, let's, let's check our hearts tonight because maybe you know about him, but maybe you don't know him. Maybe he doesn't know you. Maybe you're not living in relationship with him if you have that attitude of, oh, I know Jesus. I don't need to listen tonight. I can, I can check out tonight. Don't become familiar with him. He's endless. He should never become old to us. We're going to live forever. One reason we're going to live forever is because it's going to take forever to get to know him. He's, our God is endless, and that, inclu- that includes Jesus. And so don't check out with me. Stay with me. Stay locked in. Some of these things you would know, you, you, you probably, we all know most of these things, but he's so good. And this stuff shouldn't get old to us if we have an active, ongoing relationship with him. Jesus is probably the most controversial. Cont- if I can talk tonight, Jesus is probably the most controversial figure in all of history. No one has had a greater impact on the course of our history. He's the only person whose birth ever changed the calendar. We went from B.C. to A.D., before Christ to in the year of our Lord. And even when they tried to change it to uh, B.C.E. and C.E., it's still centered around his birth. It, that's, when, that's when the calendar changed. And, and, and no one can deny that Jesus walked this earth. It is historically evident that he walked this earth. Nobody's going to deny that he, that he was on this earth and that he was crucified by the Romans. It's historically accurate that he was a 
real man, but what I want to look at tonight is the hinge point. And if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 16, I'll show you what the hinge point is. So it's not controversial that he lived. Nobody will argue that. He was a man that walked this earth. Turn to Matthew 16. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. I'm actually going to read out of the New King James Version because I love the way that it words this. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want you to know that this is the most important question ever asked. Who do you say that I am? Jesus doesn't just ask his disciples this question, but he asks every person that's ever lived this question. Who do you say that I am? Your answer to this question determines everything about your life now and about your eternity. It is the most important question that you could ask. One of my favorite quotes is by A.W. Tozer. He said, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you think that Jesus is? And so I want to answer this question tonight. As Christians, as believers, what are we supposed to believe about him? The first thing I want to say is that the Bible, the Bible is what we call Christocentric, meaning that the whole thing is about him. All of the Bible points to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him. All of the prophets were pointing ahead to him, and then you get to the New Testament, and they find him, and all of the New Testament is about Jesus. The whole Bible, all of Scripture, is about Jesus. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now I'm going to be living, reading from the New Living. John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Actually, I'm going to read verse 4 too. The Word created life, or gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's not talking about a Bible. The Trinity wasn't up there with a King James Version Bible. (laughs) That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And Okay, so why are we turning here? Because I want to show you that Jesus wasn't just a man that walked this earth. He is also God. It's very important that we get this, that He is is preexistent, meaning that he He was before time even began. He has always been a member of the Trinity and, all, and always will be. And he created all things and he was there when everything began. He was with God and he was God. And then if you go to the end of the book, Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. And so clear picture, we got to understand that Jesus is God. He is eternal. He, he will always will be. He, and you, we see him even before we, we get to the New Testament, we see him several times in the Old Testament. 
We see him, uh, we see him come to Abraham. We see him go to Hagar. We see him go to Gideon. We see him go, we see Joshua meet him before he goes to battle. Uh, he is the man that is in the furnace with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He is all through the Old Testament, a man showing up. He is the, he is the man that wrestled all night with Jacob. He even told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> that was one of the statements he made that made them want to kill him. Because when he said that, they would have known what that statement meant. When he said, I am, that was, in a, that was like an authoritative statement of, I am God. That is the statement that he made through the burning bush, I am that I am. So we got to see that Jesus is God. And then skip down, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, so the word became human, or the word became flesh. So God became man. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. We know he was a man because he was born of a woman, which Paul talked about that last. Man, y'all got to listen to last week. It was so good. But Paul talked about that last week about his virgin birth, and you really should check that out. It was so good. But we know he, he was a man because he was born of a woman. Matthew and Luke, they trace his genealogy back to David, Abraham, and Adam. We know he was a man because he got hungry. He grew tired. He even wept. And finally, his gruesome, painful death. So we know, even in John, even in John chapter 1, we can see that God was, or that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He was fully God, he was fully human, and he was fully divine. He was two natures in one. He was two natures in one. That, that's who Jesus was. He had to become a man because only a man could pay man's penalty. We talked about that last week too. Only a man could pay man's penalty, and he had to be God because only God could take God's wrath. <laughs> we could not stand under the weight of God's wrath. And so he had to be a man because only a man could pay the penalty, but only God could take the penalty. And so he had to be both. So we have the incarnation. He became a man so that he could sympathize with us. Everything that you've gone through, he's gone through. Everything that you've been tempted with, he's been tempted with. And he resisted until he was sweating blood. Has anybody resisted sin until they've sweat blood? Not that I know of. Golly. He was fully obedient even unto death. He faced it all so that he could sympathize with us. So, so I want you to know tonight, we don't serve a God that's far off and distant and doesn't know what we're going through. He knows what we're going through. Man, he even had to struggle with, who's my dad? Right? You don't think the rumors would have come? Oh yeah, Mary, virgin birth. He faced all those things. He was rejected by his own family. His brothers thought he was crazy. And then in the time that, that he needed people the most, his disciples scattered. He experienced, he came close, he dwelt among us, he got in our mess, and he felt what we felt. He had to be fully God, and he had to be fully man. It's known as the incarnation of the word of Jesus, putting on flesh. And he's actually always going to be a man. He's never going to take, he's never going to take the flesh off. He forever is going to be fully God and fully man. 
Now I want to move into his ministry. Since he is here, since he came on earth, what did he do while he was here? If, if Jesus just came to die on the cross, that's all he would have done. He didn't just come to die on the cross. He came to establish a kingdom. He came to show us, he came to show us how to think rightly about him. Mark 1.15, when he comes onto the scene, he comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He comes preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now the Israelites, they were waiting on like a, a military leader to come and overthrow Rome. But that wasn't the kingdom he was trying to establish. He was trying to establish a spiritual kingdom. He was trying to show us the way that he actually wanted us to live. He was trying to fix everybody's presumptions and preconceived ideas and, and how we had gotten, gotten it twisted all, all over the centuries. He came and he brought a kingdom that we weren't expecting. Because he came to overgrow, overthrow a greater threat than Rome. He came to over, overthrow the devil. He came to overthrow death. He came to overthrow sin. He came to establish a kingdom that would last forever. And all through his teachings, he shows us how this kingdom works. And he, buddy, he flipped the script on what we thought. Right? If you want to be first, you've got to be last. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> he flipped the script on the way that we thought about life. He showed us how God's kingdom actually worked. And that's, and that's why he said repent. Repent actually means, it doesn't mean just to turn and go the other way. It means change the way that you think. Change the way that you think because the kingdom is at hand. What does that mean? That means king, the kingdom is here, now. Kingdom of heaven is available. It's near. And he was the door into that. He came so that we could have the kingdom now. And his kingdom, man, his kingdom overthrows everything. He went around healing people and raising the dead and casting out demons. He showed his authority and power over everything. He showed the authority and power that his kingdom has over this natural realm. And he was showing us how to get into that kingdom. He was showing how to operate in the power of that kingdom. The next thing he was doing is he was revealing, the whole way he was going, he was revealing the heart of the Father. He was revealing the heart of the Father. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John 5, 19, he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do and I only say what the Father tells me to say. He was showing us a picture of God. His, Jesus, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact expressed image of the invisible God. And so, whatever thought or anything that you think, anything that comes into your mind about God, be sure that you find it in the person and the man of Jesus. Because that is what he was doing. He walked the earth showing us what God was like. Showing us what God was like, revealing the Father to us. And even actually before he came, nobody had even ever thought of God as Father. The first time they heard that was when they came and asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He began to teach people, no, he's, he's Father. That's what he is. That's what he wants to be for us. And he began to show us the way that God feels about us. He was, again, correcting the way that we saw not only life, but the way that we saw him. He came to reveal the true character and nature 
of God. So if you're ever wondering what God is like, read the Gospels. Read the red letters. Read them over and over and over and over again. He came to teach us, he came to teach us how to live. His whole ministry, he was, he was teaching us how to live. And, and I have this one command because I think, they, I think every command stems from this one, but there's only one command that's found in all four Gospels. And so if it's, if it's a command that's found in all four, I think that God thinks it's really important. <laughs> Not that nothing else he said, but I think this is the foundation, and this is what it was. If you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. That, was the, that is the key to life. That's the key to life, to take up your cross and follow after him. Embrace my death, and I will give you resurrection life. And he was showing us, like, you, you can't keep going this way. You can't keep doing what you want to do or what you feel like doing. It just it leads to death. And so I don't know, you know, maybe somebody in here is struggling with something or you're struggling with sin or you're struggling with, well, I feel like I should be able to do this. This is all I have to tell you tonight. If you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life for his sake, you will find true life. You will find abundant life. You will find the kingdom. You will find heaven right now, here. You will find eternal life if you will give up and say, that's like, I'm crucified with Christ is what Paul said. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. We find life by losing ours to him. We find life through death to the way we want to live. We find life by bowing to his lordship. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. He is our standard. The disciples aren't our standard. Jesus is our standard. Don't identify with the disciples. Identify with Jesus. Well, man, that seems really hard and that seems really impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And in John 15, he tells his disciples, Abide in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Remain in me and I in you. Obey the things that I command to you. If you'll abide in me, you'll be able to obey the things that I command. And if you'll obey the things that I command, you'll be able to abide in me. Because he, he, kept, he was coming to his disciples and he kept saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then one day, as he's getting, as he's getting close to his death, he turns to him and says, now abide in me. How do you abide in someone? It's weird. <laughs> That's weird. How do, you, how do you abide in someone? Maybe... Maybe we should ask him. Maybe we should sit at his feet and go, Lord, teach me how to abide with you. Teach me how to remain in you. Teach me what that means. Ultimately, what it means is relationship. Stay as close to me as possible is what he's saying. Be hidden in me. Sit at my feet. And if you'll abide in me, you'll be able to obey me. And if you'll abide in me, you'll have abundant life. And if you'll abide in me, you'll be able to actually walk out this example that I'm giving you. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to abide in him must live as he lived. That's convicting. Because I have claimed to abide in him and then look at my life and go, Wow, am I really living like Jesus lived? 
Am I really walking? Another translation says, if you abide in him, you will walk like he walked. Man, am I walking like he walked? Another big thing that he did with his life is he fulfilled the law. Something that you and I were hopeless in doing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeesh. It's tough. I don't even you know this, but the, the, uh, the Pharisees were like the varsity players when it came to obeying the law. And me and you, we're like riding the bench, bench on JV. They were really good at it. How can we have that righteousness? Because we get his righteousness. Because he obeyed the law even until death so that we could have his righteousness. He fulfilled the law. He served it in complete obedience. He lived in perfect obedience to his father. Something that we could not do. And he was the final sacrifice that washed away our sins and gave us new life. He was the spotless lamb and he was the perfect high priest. He washed us clean. And because he gave us his righteousness, this was the whole goal. He gave us his righteousness, the veil was torn, the Holy Spirit now can come and live, live on the inside of us. And then you know what the Holy Spirit does? It writes the law of God on our hearts. That's, that's how we walk this out. Because we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and write the law on our hearts. Because for centuries, they were trying to to obey the law, but all the law was doing was trying to conform the outside. And God came and grabbed the inside. Because if he can transform the heart, he can transform the outside. And so Jesus made a way that a holy God could come into a sinful man. He made a way so that we could become the temple. That's good news. A lot better than, than we think. Jesus came to give us a heart transformation. He lived righteous and exchanged it for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1-2, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us because our faith Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Man, that's good news. There's a lot there, but I'm going to move on. And then the most significant thing that Jesus did was lay his life down for us on the cross and then three days later rise again. The most significant thing that Jesus did for us was lay his life down on the cross and three days later rise again. Don't ever let that become familiar to you because that is the biggest piece of news. <laughs> that is the best piece of news that he laid his life down on the cross. What king would die for his own people? What kind of God pours out his wrath on himself or on his son to spare it from his people? 
our king and our God did. Now, I want to point out, too, that this wasn't some um, form of cosmic child abuse. (laughs) God did not murder his son. God did not kill his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. But remember, Jesus is God. He came in the flesh. You could say, for God so loved the world that he came. Jesus is God, so he took it. I get it that the Father poured out his wrath on his son. I get it. Isaiah 53 says that it pleased the father to crush the son, but he was crushing the sin. Our sin on Jesus. Our sin. You and I, our sin nailed him to the cross. Jesus is God laying his life down for us. He is God paying our debt. He was willing. He became sin so that we could become righteousness. He took our sin upon himself and then destroyed its power. It destroyed its power. We, see, we had no choice. We were, in Romans 6 says, we were slaves. We were in bondage to our sin. We had no choice but to obey it. And then Romans 7 shows us that all the law did was reveal the sin to us, but we were still held captive by sin. But because of what Jesus did, he overcame the power of sin. So now, every time you're tempted, do you know what you have the power to say? No. Every time you're tempted, it says God provides a way out. And the way out is Jesus. Every time it's Jesus. You actually don't have to live a life of saying no, 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 no. If you'll just say yes to Jesus, he'll make all the no's for you. He provided a way out every time the temptation comes. He broke the power of sin. Jesus didn't just die to save you from your sins. He died to free you from your sins. Good point, Josh. And then Jesus rose again. Resurrection is the key here. Resurrection is the key point of our faith. Why? Because lots of people claim to be Messiah. Lots of people claim to be a God, but only one got up from the grave. And you know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. Wow. <laughs> he, raised him, he raised himself from the dead. And you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but do you know that Lazarus then died again? Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you know who's still alive? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is still alive. The resurrection is the central, most important thing that we believe in because without it, let me tell you, we would be hopeless and there would be no such thing as Christianity. The resurrection is the key. If he had just died and stayed dead, he would have just been another liar, another madman. But we have so much evidence for the resurrection. We have so much evidence that he walked out of the grave three days later. The most compelling piece of evidence that I found, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Because nobody dies for a lie. Now, people may die for a lie that they believe is truth. But you had 11 guys who disappeared, ran with their tails tucked between their legs, afraid when he got arrested. And then they show up 40 days later preaching the gospel 
standing before the same council that had Jesus killed, preaching with boldness, what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And listen, (laughs) I don't think 11 guys would have all held on to the same story, especially when they're being crucified upside down and, and boiled alive and torn apart by horses. Somebody would have recanted. Somebody would have said, hold up. But, you, but Jesus had more than, there were more than 500 eyewitnesses, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. More than 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive. And probably most of those people died martyrs' deaths. We have so much evidence that he rose again. We have so much evidence in the resurrection. One of the other big, I just want to point this out real quick. Saul to Paul. I mean, come on. This dude was on his way to Damascus to persecute, probably kill some Christians. And what happens? All of a sudden, he becomes this like Holy Ghost empowered, like assassin for the gospel. Like he just, everybody starts getting saved. Everywhere that he goes, revival is breaking out. So how do you go from a guy who's killing Christians to a guy who's getting the known world saved? Because he had an encounter with the resurrected, alive Jesus. Man. (laughs) So good. I also want us to know that uh, tonight that Jesus, his death on the cross was way, it it was a lot more, how do I word this? It was for a lot more than just saving us from hell. His death on the cross, I'm glad it saved me from hell. But it was for a lot more than saving me from hell. Jesus' death and resurrection is for a lot more than just getting me into heaven. While that is amazing, it's incomplete to stop there. It's incredible. I am so grateful that I get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. I am so thankful that I don't have to spend eternity in hell, but he died for a lot more than that. He died for a lot more than that. Luke 19.10 says that he came to restore that which was lost. Not who was lost. He came to restore that which was lost. Who was lost is part of that, but he came to restore that which was lost. What was lost? The authority. The devil took the authority from man. He broke off communion with God and Adam, and he took his authority. And Jesus, when he went into the grave, he took back the keys. And when he left, he gave us authority in his name. And so now we have the authority. We now can be restored to all that Adam originally was intended to do. We now can take dominion of this planet. We now can lay our hands on the sick and see them healed. See, Jesus didn't just save me from hell. He saved me from cancer. He didn't just save me from eternal hell, but a life full of hell. (laughs) He came to restore everything that Adam turned over to the devil. He came to... Man, I am so glad that I'm saved from hell, but I'm also so glad that I get to have a relationship with God now. He came to restore relationship, not just to save me from hell. He didn't just come to save me from hell and then be some far-off distant God. He came to save me so that I could come back and walk with Him in the cool of the day again. Man, that's what He desired. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. 
We are part of that joy that was set before him. He was so excited that he got to then come back into relationship with us. He came to bring us freedom from sin. He came to give us authority over fallen creation. And now God invites us into his redemption plan. He invites us into his redemption plan. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. We've been given the ministry to reconcile creation back to its original intent. Jesus isn't up in heaven waiting for us to screw it up so bad and then come bail us out. He actually, when he said make disciples of all nations, he meant it. That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is impossible without his life, death, and resurrection. In closing, where is he now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He ascended into heaven, and the Father said, sit here until I make all your enemies your footstool. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And Hebrews, Hebrews 7 says that he's our great high priest who intercedes for us. Woo! Jesus is praying for you. One of my favorite passages is when Jesus comes to Peter at the Last Supper. And Peter just said, I'll die for you, Jesus. I won't deny you. I won't do, I won't do any of these things. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, the devil asked to sift you. But I prayed for you. Woo! Do you feel that? Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you, praying for me. Next time life gets hard, remember that. He's praying for you. He sympathizes with you. He's interceding for you on your behalf. Mm, that's good. And he's also, <laughs> Jesus is also, he's our bridegroom. We the church, we're the bride. He's in heaven waiting on a wedding day. And what, what's the church doing? We're getting ready for him. Right? We're not, we're not sitting idly by, letting the world go to hell. We're inviting other people to be a part of this wedding party. We're making disciples. And when he comes, when he comes, we're going to rejoice. When, he, when the second coming isn't a scary day, it's going to be rejoicing for the saints because it's our wedding day to our bridegroom. Woo! I'm excited about it. <laughs> Okay, so that's what he's doing now. He's in heaven making intercession for us. He's waiting. One day the Spirit and the bride will say, come. What do we do in response to him? Tonight was not merely to absorb information about him. It all, he always demands a response. So, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? That's the most important question that you could ask yourself and that he asked you. In John 14, he said, I'm the, only, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. He's also our Lord. In the Gospels, it refers to Jesus over 600 times as Lord. In the Gospels, it refers to Jesus as Lord over 600 times and his Savior only 25 He's Lord. He's not your buddy. <laughs> I, I, I get it. He calls us friend, but he's also our Lord. 
We're st- we are still His servants. He's still master. He's still in charge. He still ca- calls the shots. Jesus is so much more than just a mere man. He's so much more than a great teacher or prophet. He was God in the flesh. He was the only man to live in sinless obedience. Nothing matters more than the way that we respond to Him. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that He is? He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of David. He is our Bridegroom. He is a Judge. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our Great High Priest. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is our Advocate. He is the hope for the world. He is the Living Word. He is the the, the Bread from Heaven. He is our Messiah. He is our Savior. He is eternal life. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the alpha and the omega. Isn't it awesome that we cannot exaggerate the awesomeness of Jesus? Man. He's the key to all of it. He's the key to everything. (laughs) The message is simply this about Jesus. This is the simple gospel tonight. There is a God that created the universe, that created you and I, that gave his life, that gave us life, that gave us a plan and a purpose. We rebelled against the plan. We rebelled against God. We turned ourselves over to darkness. We became a slave to sin. And God in his goodness, mercy, and grace doesn't kill us and doesn't make us suffer the consequences. Instead, he sends his son Jesus to redeem his fallen creation so that we can come back into right standing with Him, so that we can have right relationship with Him and become all He originally intended for us to be and then help Him redeem creation. And guess what all we have to do is? Believe. That's it. Just believe. Wow. (laughs) That's all we have to do is believe. Jesus is everything. He's the only thing that matters. As I was studying for this today, I just felt the weight of this in my office because I feel like so many times we get distracted by other things. So many times I think we get so caught up in everything that we're doing for him that we forget about just Jesus. It's just, it's just him. There's never a need to change the subject. There's never a need to focus on anything else. It's just Jesus. He's the answer. It's not Jesus and. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and. Jesus is the answer. It's not Jesus and a Republican in the White House. It's not Jesus and a big church building. It's not Jesus and the end of human trafficking. It's not Jesus and a 12-step program. While I am for all of those things, They are not the aim. It's just Him. It's just Him. Why? Because darkness only bows to one name. (laughs) Freedom is only found in one name. It's just Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God's plan to redeem all of creation. He is the solution to sin. He's the solution to darkness. He's the solution to decay because He is the bringer of freedom. He is the bringer of light. And He is the bringer of life. And our response is simply bowing to His Lordship. Our response is simply learning how to abide in Him. And He'll do the rest. He will do the rest.
Last thing, and then I'll let you go. Like I'm holding you captive here or something. Like you can't leave on your own. (laughs) Oh, Philippians. Chapter 2. Verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Will you stand with me tonight? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. We're so grateful for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for doing what we couldn't do. You're so beautiful, Jesus. You're so lovely. You're so worthy. God, right now we lift up your name above every other name. At the name of Jesus, everything and everyone should bow. We lift you up, Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in here who has not made you Lord of their life, or maybe somebody has and they walked away or are struggling with something, Lord, I ask that this this message about you tonight would bring conviction, Lord. It's, It's only you. Holy Spirit, you're the revealer of truth. You're the revealer of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I lose your power in this room tonight to bring us under conviction. Jesus, may we keep our eyes on You. May we keep our focus on the one thing. Lord, we thank You so much that You'll never be taken from us. That You'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we thank You for being our sympathizer. We thank You for no knowing coming to know what we go through and you didn't have to we give you praise lord teach us how to abide teach us how to remain teach us how to follow lord you're worth it all you're worth everything that we everything that we try to hang on to lord you're worth laying it all down god you're worth every rejection you're worth every ridicule You're worth every friend or or family member that has turned their backs on us. 
You're worth it all, Jesus. Right now, I believe that Jesus is showing someone the holes in his hands and in his feet and the scars on his face and head. And here is what he is telling you. You were worth it. That's what he says to you tonight. Is that you were worth every lash he took. You are worth wearing the crown of thorns. You are worth being hung on a cross. He says you were worth it. He came to bring you back into relationship with him. And all you have to do is believe in him. He'll take care of the rest. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us, Lord. As we go home, as we go back to work, as we finish this week, God, let this word just weigh on us the next couple days of how great you are, Jesus. Keep your hand heavy on us, Lord. I also believe here tonight that somebody's having trouble believing that they are righteous and that they're spotless. You need to know tonight that Jesus Jesus paid the price so that you wouldn't have to feel condemnation or shame or guilt. He broke the power of sin and God sees you as holy and flawless and blameless. He sees you through the lens of Jesus. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. And He's got so much more for you. He wants you to let go of those things so that He can give you more. He just says all you got to do is come home. There's more in the house. He wants to bring you inside. Thank you, Lord. God, I ask that that would just sink in deep, that somebody in this room would get the revelation of righteousness. They would get the revelation that they are robed in your righteousness. It's when we get that revelation that we actually start walking righteous. It's the goodness of God that leadeth men unto repentance. Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you that your Holy Spirit was with us tonight. Lord, I lift up every, every child at Kids Church, every young person in junior high. Oh, Lord, we just declare that they are yours. The devil cannot have them. We declare that they are yours, that they are your children. They're going to follow you all the days of their life. God, that you would wrap your arms around them and they would know you even at an early age. God, from, from four years old all the way up to eighth grade, tonight that they would know they would hear your voice they would feel your love they would know your embrace and without a doubt that you are real and that you care for them lord keep us safe tonight as we travel back home in jesus name amen 
You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 